All right, here we are, day three. Day three. The final day of this Man. amazing Geo Week 2023 it's event. Been a crazy week. I mean, <sighs> and then today. Yep. I the mean, weather. Yeah, it's, it's causing uh, complete chaos. It is chaos around here. Everyone's got their bags and no idea if they're going to fly out of here. Yes. Uh, it's it's very beautiful outside. Beautiful. It's For beautiful. Arizona Phoenix guys, we don't get to see we this kind it. of thing. I we mean, love I'm it. freezing my nipples off here. but yep. it's, uh, <laughs> And all that said, I'm in a good mood today. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that because you woke up and it was uh, cold um, and it gave you some nostalgia? You saw a buddy uh, last night? Saw the buddy. I think part of it is all I drank last night was White Claws. Oh, okay. So I normally don't have a hangover after White Claws. So you're nice and nice and refreshed? Not, yep. I don't feel bloated today. Everything's good. Everything's okay. good. It's going to be a good day. All right, let's get on, the, on with this. we got a couple guests with us yes. to start off the morning. Yeah. We're going to let them introduce themselves, uh, just names, who you're with, and what you do. And we're going to let you go first, Mr. Gary. Yes. Uh, yeah, my name is Gary Phipps. I uh, work with a Smart Drone. I'm a field application specialist. Uh, basically supporting, you know, uh, land, land surveyors, civil engineers uh, with LIDAR scanning and uh, getting them good ground points. I like this guy already. You are talking to the right guys. <laughs> Al, you're up, buddy. Yeah, so my name is Al Feed, and I'm a VP of services for Smart Drone. Uh, but what that really means is I lead the FAS team. So these guys are in several states. They go out and demonstrate the product to land surveyors and civil engineers and also can perform services in most states okay. uh, for those surveyors and engineers. Awesome. So you're all, you're, you know, you, you sell the, the machinery, but you can also do it for us as well if, you, if we need it. Yes, yeah, so a little sometimes. A little bit of the story behind that was just we made a great piece of hardware. We, we went out and talked to surveyors. We needed some processing software with that. It's really been built around surveyors and, and those conversations. Uh, but at the same time, we think the industry's less than 20 or 30 percent adopting drones and, and really running their own programs right now. Wow. Um, and if they're buying them, you might be getting into it with photos and things like this. This is a a little bit more of an industrial tool. And so if you have 80% of the market, people kept asking us, can you do it as a service? And we mm. always said, we'll do a free demo, we'll do, and, but it eventually morphed into sure. just a big part of the business. And yeah, okay. Just yeah. makes sense. That's, that's perfect. Um, so this is your opportunity to uh, really sell the company. So tell us about Smart Drone and uh, what separates you guys from everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, those conversations I mentioned a second ago are a really big deal. So. Uh, when we made our first products, we kind of had the idea that you make something cool and then you go to market, and that doesn't really function very well. Uh, and so we just hit the, hit the brakes, and we went out and had tons of interviews and conversations with surveyors. These were virtual, they were in person. Uh, if, if surveyors were in East Texas, our CEO Rob was showing up at their door, <laughs> and he had a list of That's questions. Awesome. He had a list of questions. And, um, and so we went out, uh, the software we provide, there's not a subscription. So they, they get this data off, but then always the question is, what do you do with the data? Uh, so that workflow, we, the processor, it runs on their computer. It's a perpetual license. Um, it's a very simple tool, but it's made to vegetation filter LiDAR data. It's made to stitch together small orthos. And then that's a really great uh, starting point. They can get into it. They don't have to have like crazy workflows and crazy software knowledge. They have an industrial tool that's reliable because it is at a level that's above a real entry level LiDAR drone. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some positioning and geo-referencing that's more reliable that way. Mm. Uh, but with the software, they get to start using it. And then if they want to become more of a power user, they want to really start exploring different tools, some PIX4Ds or some Trimbles or whatever they want to use to process the data, this kind of gets them over the hump that way. And they're able to keep using that. Got it. Got it. So anything else you want to add there, Gary? Uh, no, I, I mean, talking to land surveyors, civil engineers, I mean, the more and more they're learning about, I guess, the smart drone, Discovery 2 is what we have right here. Um, they, they really are starting to, I guess, see the value in, in this industrial tool, like, like I was saying, uh, as a way to just help save a lot of time and money uh, when they're on the ground and also just keep guys off the ground, you know, prevent injuries and things of that nature. So, um, I, you know, I'm excited to, to go to different trade shows and show this off to other land surveyors because uh, a lot of them just haven't adopted it yet, and I think it's only a matter of time until they do. Got it, got it. So Would you agree with that, Mr. Lanzer? Uh, yes, 100%. I like what I'm hearing. Okay. Good stuff here. Um, so what are the most common applications for, for your drones? Like, what are, what are some of the, the user stories that you're hearing? Tons of subdivisions, tons of topographic data. So it started out one foot contours was the only thing we did. It was all we focused on. And that whole processor I told you about, that was the whole goal. So going and talking to the surveyors, like I said, 
80% of them, they wanted a one-foot contour. Um, so we, we could have built something that was kind of over the top, kind of could do everything, uh, and instead it was focused on building something that was made for 80% of use cases. So the one-foot contours, we do that all day long. The customers do that regularly. Um, I'm trying to think. Also, a customer doing mobile mapping, a lot of experience in LiDAR data. They're using TopoDot and these really advanced workflows, but the mobile mapper wasn't getting them some data off to the side, uh, whether it's the right-of-ways or um, whether it's where the line's maybe going to flow. Um, and so their clients, they needed that data. So the discovery, too, was something that they were able to pop up. They can capture data off the road, off where the mobile mapper is, but also they were able to bring that into their current workflows uh, and bring it into TopoDot and things like that. Interesting. So you say you can do one-foot contours all day long. Mm -hmm. What's the relative accuracy when you say one-foot contours? So uh, you've got to be sub-two-tenths is a rule of thumb, I think. And mm -hmm. there, there are some very specifics as you start reading the ASPRS stuff. And in vegetation, maybe it can get up to a half foot. But we really focus on that sub-two-tenths uh, for the one-foot contour. Mm -hmm. and got to go out, you got to validate the data, you got to run the GPS equipment uh, and check your elevations. Um, and yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it does. Um, I'll, I'll spring off of that just a little bit. Uh, and maybe this is more for you, Gary, from a survey perspective, like how much like, like your users or when you're doing projects yourselves, how much ground truthing do you build into the, uh, you know, the, the, the end product, I guess? I mean, we take check shots when we're out on the ground, uh, mm -hmm. depending on the size of the project. I mean, we'll will take quite a few, I mean, whatever we can get to. I mean, of course, the heavily vegetated areas we can't quite get into. You wouldn't get good uh, RTK fix. But other than that, uh, you know, if we're doing orthos, doing line work, you know, getting those ground checkpoints in, getting really accurate check shots on them uh, to make sure, you know, before we deliver that to the client, it's, it's going to exceed, you know, their expectations for it. Got it. Got it. And from like a uh, R&D perspective, how do you stay ahead of the curve? We, I think being open-minded, for one. So we have an incredible team of engineers. I think we brought the Ouster LiDAR sensor, and I think over the next few years, we're actually gonna see Ouster dominating these shows. Uh, they have a technology that's way lower cost, it's scalable, it's chip-based, and it's starting to become more powerful. I think this is gonna be nuts, but um, we started implementing that a few years ago when it was they were really focused on automotive. They had nobody putting this in the sky, nobody geo-referencing the data, and it wasn't easy to do. So I think from an R&D perspective, we have a lot of strengths in, in embedded computing and custom flight control. So everything the drone's doing, the team has written. There's, there's not a lot of, um, well, there's a bunch of off the shelf, but then there's a lot of customization that, that'll streamline it for the user. Got it. Yeah, so talk about that a little more. Like, you know, as, as you see this evolving, like how is, when does it become customization and then it's a new, you know, this is the second model. <laughs> how do you decide to go, okay, well, 80% want these, now that's in the third model. I'm always curious how that works. You know, that's really interesting. So our, our it's a, we always say go where pulled when you ask about the, the R&D. Yeah. So you get a bunch of people together, engineers, anything like that. They've all got great ideas and they all think they're right. Um, but ultimately, if you build a product based on those conversations, I don't think it's a useful product. And so go where pulled means we go to the customers, <laughs> we measure what they ask for. And so if you have one guy asking for uh, hyperspectral, but then 10 are asking for thermal as your next sensor, maybe that's where you go. So it, it's not that complicated to listen to people, but I think it's not done all the time necessarily. It's easy to get tripped up <laughs> and caught in your own good ideas. In the Army, in the army we called that the good idea fairy, and, and usually it never went anywhere good. <laughs> I, but, love, I love the uh, go where pulled. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, good stuff. Um, what do you guys, do you guys provide training as well then? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So the, if you buy the drone, we'll come. So the beautiful thing about our field application specialists is that we're going direct. We don't have a bunch of resellers. These guys, they'll knock on your door, they'll call you up, but they'll go do the demo and, and they'll take care of you. They'll also do your training and installation. So within a reasonable range, they all work from home, but within a reasonable range, a few hours, they'll go for a day or two hmm. and spend time with the customer in the field, make sure they know how to, how to use this product. If we needed to extend past that, we could. Uh, we can also bring people out to our headquarters and they can spend a couple days with us there. Got it. You got something? No, go ahead. Um, back to me. Uh, let's see here. What about safety? How do you, how do you guys incorporate safety into, uh, into your workflow? From the services perspective, it's a good lesson for all the surveyors who might be considering drones is that the preaching safety in the whole process is a really big deal. 
Uh, there have been times where we've had errors or incidents in the field, and a lot of the times it's nothing to do with the user. The user's wanting to make a good impression. They're wanting to do a good job. Um, but in the world of aviation, for example, you have to make sure people understand they can hit the brakes at any point. Um, with a base and a rover, you can go do a bunch of silly things and really push a job forward. Maybe you just waste a lot of time. But when you start putting something that's 20 pounds in the air, it's got spinning carbon fiber blades, it's a big deal and you have to take it seriously. And I think you have to run a serious program and, and really consider all of that. And, and I will say too, Smart Drone is really nice uh, being a, you know an FAS with them because they, it's big boy rules basically. They give you that responsibility and you know if you don't feel safe or you feel like it's in a bad situation, you're never pressured to get those deliverables. It, you, you'd rather land it, plan better, and then put it back up in the air. So just being smart and cognizant and applying you know basic 107 rules yeah. uh, is, is kind of what we work with. <laughs> yeah. but no, it's just a plug for surveyors. Uh, they are our favorite people to work with because- Oh, he knows his a, audience. Oh yeah. Here's the thing. There, there's We're a, still lovable. <laughs> right? Lovable people. Well, the, the surveyor handles that type of pressure and the expectation of deliverables and dates very well. They have an understanding. They know that you're, if you're communicating with them, you're letting them know everything that's going on. Um, they may want something sooner. You may, you may not hit the exact deadline every single time, but it's a group of people who will listen to you. They're respectful to you, and they also understand what it's like. I think a lot of the other professions, except for when you start constructing, it's all on the computer, and it seems very easy, but uh, think the surveyors they might hear from the crew that something's challenging they'll go see it they'll say oh yeah that that really sucks right that is going to be a hard one we are we might have kind of lost our butt on that one or whatever it is so if we communicate they're really really good to deal with and yeah, really yeah. really kind to us and we really appreciate that that's awesome um so you mentioned faa you mentioned part 107 how are they I'm not, I'm not a part 107 certified you know drone operator so i'm not on on, uh, on the cutting edge of this stuff but how are like regulations changing, or are, are, are they changing, or are they, or do they need to change? Yeah. Well, recently they they constantly evolve. So some things have changed where you can fly at night, or you can fly over people within reason, and that didn't used to be the case. To be honest, the process to get the Part 107 is not very restrictive. In fact, here at Geo Week, we've had conversations with people in Canada or Mexico, and it sounds insane. And I think the FAA has done a wonderful job. Uh, I'll bring by a business card, and maybe it's something that could be shared. We pu publish a study guide. Oh, cool. And all that is is a several resources we found for free. So as a company, our CEO, he made a rule. He said every single employee will be a Part 107 pilot. So our accountants, if we had a janitor, we don't. But if we had a janitor, everyone will be one. It takes one to two weeks. Yeah. We use free YouTube videos and uh, free study guides. You got to get a 70% on this test. So you try to practice till you get an 80 consistently. Yeah. It's a $150 test after that. And then you pretty much have it for the rest of your life. There's recurring, mm. um, but yeah, that's all online these days. So if someone wants to get into it, there's, there really hasn't been a better time. And it, it really can be done in a short amount of time. Yeah, there, once you learn about there's a lot of opportunity safety. right now. A lot yeah, of opportunity. <laughs> and what's like, what do you see next? What's coming down the pipe as far as the uh, technology goes? Have you seen anything at the show that's like blowing your mind or is there uh... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can say for us what we're exploring is I like I shared, we went out and we focused on topographic workflows. So if you if you look at our data today, uh, if you go on a hard surface, a parking lot, something like that, you get out your RTK base and rover, you're gonna have amazing elevation comparisons with the drone data. Um, but what we don't necessarily have with the Discovery 2 is like uh, crispy curves, right? So when you get the mobile mapper data, you know, they're gonna have these this insane level of detail. However, mm -hmm. our sensor vendor and a lot of the vendors that are in this sensing world, they're for the same cost, they're really advancing, they're really accelerating. That's kind of how the chips and the computers work, right? But we're excited for that because the same weight, the same cost, we start to get more performance. So for the industry overall, maybe all that performance isn't always uh, above six figures, right? Maybe you start getting that performance below six figures, uh, reasonable packages, and we start seeing more and more of that. And then you start talking about being able to draw uh, 3D poly lines, start using the data in very creative ways. Uh, so we're, we're pretty excited for that. And last thing I think is the software. Guys, everybody is really nervous about how to process the data, but I have talked to, I have one favorite of over near our booth, and the way that they automate the processing of your data is just insane. Uh, it, it doesn't mean the user doesn't have to know what they're doing. It doesn't mean the user doesn't have to 
evaluate that. But I think over the next few years, we're going to start getting easier and easier to use tools that do a better and better job with, say, in Southeast, where we are uh, vegetation filtering. Mm -hmm. That's a laborious effort, right? You spend time to make sure that's good ground data. Um, but I think those softwares are going to get better and better. I'm excited for that. Save a lot of time that way. Mm -hmm. So outside like the, the mapping industry and uh, the drone usage there, how do you see uh, drones maybe impacting society as a whole? <laughs> yeah, I mean, from from what I've seen, uh, I mean, it's used super heavily, of course, in real estate, uh, but also almost any video that goes viral or any important video ha is like half drone footage. I mean, there's just so much drone footage out there, so I think that's a huge uh, market for it. I mean, I've had people give me a call like, hey, I heard you're a 107 pilot. Any way I can get into that? I want to start making some money. And I'm like, it's really you know not that hard for a beginner to just get in there and start earning money, you know, team up with a real estate agent. And yeah. You got ongoing work going forward. But I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there's just so many applications for it now. It, it's astounding. Well, then, and... Um you know, and it's weird you say outside of surveying and mapping, but what the surveyors and mappers might use it for is going to impact people. So we, for example, recently we've been able to place a discovery too with the municipality. We're very proud of that, but the use case of the municipalities is most interesting. Um, one of the most exciting ones for me is we all know what it's like when the hurricanes come through the Gulf. Uh, what, the, what the surveyors that work for those municipalities have to do is they have to plan for that drainage throughout the year or leading up to hurricanes. And then um, they have to uh, estimate maybe where water will go. Uh, but it's wild when the hurricane comes through for them because the water actually goes in different places than what was modeled, for one. So having the ability to go out and fly that really quickly and see where it really is, they actually give that to surveyors in their areas. Well, that's going to benefit people. but. On the planning phase, uh, there are tons of areas they can't access, so they may have ideas about how water could flow around a neighborhood safely, but they could never get permission to go and survey, and the, the labor part of that would be wild. And the level of detail out in there, they have less than a foot of drop over like 14 miles. So they have it's gotta be good. It can't, it can't just be blow and go either. Well, being able to fly over that, well, they have the right to do that. Being able to plan, they can see where all the runoff's starting and being able to shift where that goes without ever touching a piece of property with a lot less red tape for them and a lot less effort. Uh, this is something that could have taken months. You can go scan in a, in a few hours, right? Yeah. So maybe that starts to impact people and maybe it gives us a better view, more bird's eye view of what's there. And, and when we're planning those things, maybe they turn into better projects, I don't know. I'm, I'm confident that they will turn into better projects. Absolutely. Uh, well, Al, Gary, uh, I don't have anything else to be yeah. honest with you. I mean, what, great job. You anything are, else you guys want to get out there? Just check us out. Uh, we're, yeah, how do they find you? How do they learn more? Yeah, smartdrone.us is the website. We're on all forms of social media. Yeah, the fa YouTube. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, People, we're all on there. Exactly. Cool. So please reach out. We'd love to talk. We'd love to hear more and learn how we could help. Yes. Awesome. Great yeah. job. Really yeah. impressive, guys. Yeah. Thank, yeah. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> All right, we are back. Uh, this is the first uh, trifecta of guests that we've had at the show. This is going to be exciting. Uh, some of these voices you've heard before, and I'm going to let it go. I'm just go around the horn, let everybody do self-introduction, kind of their names, who they're with, what they do. Adam, let's start with you. Sure, Adam Krasnowski. I've actually been on the show two times before, so yep. Uh, I am uh, one of the founders and uh, chief evangelist. I like chief yes. evangelist. It's good a one. good title. Yep, yep. Of uh, Airworks. <laughs> of Airworks, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Airworks has been a tremendous supporter of the program from day one, and uh, we thank you for your continued support of the show. Thank you, man. Next up. Yeah, nice to meet you all. I'm David Morchenik. First time on the show, uh, obviously a big supporter of Geoholics, um, but I'm the CEO and co-founder of Airworks, so Adam's business partner, uh, partner in crime here, so all right. yeah, good to be here. And then the, uh, the, the odd man out here. Odd man out. Uh, Luke, <laughs> Luke Bingham. I'm with Datasite. I um, have been helping develop uh, the algorithms that we use at Datasite. We are awesome. been in the mapping and in civil engineering industry for 35 years. So let's give uh, you guys an opportunity real quick just to refresh people's minds. Give us some updates. What's going on with Airworks? Yeah, it's been an exciting year. I think uh, 2022 with Airworks, just to remember kind of yeah, to remind everyone what we do, we, we take all kinds of remote sensing data, aerial from aircrafts, drones, imagery, as well as LiDAR, as well as mobile-based systems, and um, analyze that with uh, machine learning and AI-based systems to create yeah, cat drawings and, and GIS data from it. 
And I think last year was really big because we started working with some partners to look at a pre-existing data um, that can be can be put right into Airworks and also uh, team up with companies like Datasite um, to offer our clients a better level of service. So, and that's one of the big things we want to talk about, of course. So, Luke, being with Datasite, mm-hmm. tell us what Datasite does. What do we do? Um, well, we've developed algorithms that uh, analyze point cloud data, uh, ground classified point cloud data, and uh, identify all of the grade breaks in the terrain and put brake lines where those grade breaks are. And so the result is that you can you can have a surface model that is a much smaller footprint in memory. Um, you can take gigabytes of data, of point cloud data, and reduce it down to a few megabytes of mm. brake line data and still retain the, the integrity of the shape of the ground that you're working on. Gotcha, and that's huge. That's, it's, it's, it's data compression. Um, it's, it also is a, we, we don't use any complex features. We break everything down into polylines and points, which are the, the basic food groups of CAD. Mm-hmm. You know, the, your DTMs want to ingest brake lines and points. They don't want to ingest DEMs. They don't want to yep. ingest you know, complicated meshes that either decimate the, the, the integrity too much or too little. Uh, it's just the right amount of data to, to define the shape without being overly aggressive. Perfect. So, uh, Adam, what I'd like you to do is talk a little bit about this partnership and how it is mutually beneficial. Absolutely. I just want to point out thing, something, too. Please. In the creation of those brake lines, right, mm-hmm. that is traditionally a, a very labor-intensive oh, process, right? Yeah, so, that's he's getting very technical about what it does. Right. But why our clients get really excited about it is saves them tremendous amounts of time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, when I was managing teams of CAD people, it was it was one of those things that you would have to ask your CAD people to do that was, it's like, okay, who do I want to punish today? Uh, and then you give those guys the, you give that guy the break line detail and they have to start digitizing it. It's one of the most monotonous, mind-numbing things you can do in CAD. Yeah, no question. Yeah. I've done that way too many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is mind-numbing, <laughs> absolutely. So talk more about this partnership and like how it enhances maybe your uh, your uh, deliverables. Absolutely. So w- we actually started finding with, with our current client base um, that there, there were certain features, uh, uh, certain bundles that weren't being ordered on mm. our platform. Mm. And we started to look at it and say, why? Why is that, right? And, and one of them was we didn't offer brake lines, mm. not how the industry wanted it. Mm-hmm. And so we actually had some common clients that were customers of ours, customers of theirs that said, hey, listen, why don't you just partner up and offer brake lines mm. in your app? Yep. It's a better workflow all around. So what that really unlocked for us is it gets our clients to utilize more, um, which we're excited about, but also it, it, it it offers a better product, a better mm. customer experience because of that workflow, right? Yeah. It is uh, sometimes, um, can be challenging, right, to work a, uh, on a project where you have to have five, six plus softwares, right? And you're, once you do your work in one, you download and you upload into the next one, mm-hmm. and it, it can be a nuisance, right? So I think one of the big benefits is just uh, offering a better product all around for our clients. Or just It's much easier to use. So, so is this already been, because this has happened pretty recently, correct? Yeah, we just launched. Uh, Same papers last week. Yeah, right? exactly. we're, we're literally just getting okay. so integration is, is upcoming and, and uh, yep. it's going to be working on. That was my next week. question about yep. the integration, what that's going to look like and the timing of it. Yeah, we're going to work on it. I mean, there's always work to do on integration, of course, right? But uh, the the nice thing is the teams know each other already, and, and GeoWeek helped, you know, to bring the engineers together and um, and plan this out. And I think in a couple of weeks we should be able to get brake lines through Airworks um, right in our portal, and nice. so basically clients can, you know, check out their order as they usually do, and then yeah. there'll be a line item called brake lines for, powered by DataSite, and we're excited about that. You know, just uh, hearing that feedback and. Yeah. and Getting more and more work for the clients done. Yeah. Um, so from the data data side perspective, then is this what does this do to your workflow? Well, it, it brings new clients that we and, and a new outlet for our data. I mean, we we got uh, we've got clients existing already, but they bring a whole new host of clients and, and just a, a level of effort that we don't have to put out. They're they're sending data to our our site through the back end. Mm-hmm. We're processing it. We never have to even see it. We just brings us new business. Got it, got it. And how is this data, like how is it transferred between like your two companies? Is there like a, is it a cloud-based solution of some sort? Is that what that looks like? Is it just, I guess what I'm really getting at, does the client interaction change at all? Like Airwork clients, 
does it does that interaction on the website change at all, or is it still that same simple, basically a recipe? I want this, 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 and this. They yeah. won't see any difference, really. It's the exact same thing. We're a new right? item on the menu. Yeah, new item on the menu. Yeah, on the menu. And there you go. And I mean, in, in general, we always say we, we try to offer our clients the variety of data sources that they can they, they can plug in. Mm-hmm. We have 15 different feature classes already, and want to add on those. The, the number of variables we're dealing with, right? It's just very large, and just mm-hmm. making sure that. Yeah, we fulfill their requirements on all, and I don't think any company can do this all by themselves, mm-hmm. right? So yep. that's why we have this strategy of like, look, guys, we we want the clients want a one-stop shop. We want to be that one-stop shop. Yep. But then, like, hey, why wouldn't we partner with the best people that yep. offer certain capabilities, right? And Perfect. for mutual benefit, right? And that's great. And then for the clients, no change at all, right? And and they would literally data gets transferred through AWS. It, it lives on the cloud. It gets processed on the cloud. It goes back in the cloud. Right, and then it can be consumed and downloaded by our clients after processing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also stay there, right, for digital consumption and supply Yep, and I think it says a lot about Airworks that you know you realize, hey, these guys do this better than we do. So rather than try to you know reinvent the wheel or whatever, why not just partner with them? Right, and you know just that easy uh, be able to offer our clients a much better deliverable yeah. that they're not going to get anywhere else. It's much else. more fun also. You know, we like hanging out with Luke and <laughs> you know, talking shop. He's a pretty good guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're, we're as a company, we're very focused, right, on what we do, mm-hmm. and we do that really well. Yep. And so I think you pointed it out, is, is just partnering with the experts at the, mm-hmm. at the right stage yep. is perfect. It's almost yeah. like when you're in the position to hire people. Like, ever since I've been in the position to hire people, I'm like, I'm always going to hire people that are better than me at something, right? Same type thing, just at a business level. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's even when we started Airworks, right? The the question was, not everyone could fly a drone back then, right? Mm-hmm. And it was always oh, yeah. like, can you guys collect data for us? And we're like, you know what, we're, we're an AI company. We're a software company. We, yeah, we can maybe learn how to fly a drone, but really other people should do it. There's yeah. companies like Nearmap, who we partnered with also this week, right, that pre-collect data, right? And, and we're getting in a world where the, the resolution of data gets better and better and better, and that data is available to consume, right? And now we can actually ingest that data into Airworks and process it through data side, right? Yeah. So that's the where the loop closes, right? Yeah. To, to provide the customer the experience that they really want. So let's talk about what you guys are seeing at the show and how uh, some of these technologies are gonna have an impact on, uh, on what you guys do. Yeah, yeah. well what I see is, I mean even just on this line, I look around, I see uh, probably 10 different uh, remote sensing tools, right? So these, these tools are, becoming easier and easier to get our hands on, right? Yeah. Or to get the collector, for the collectors to get their hands on, which it just, it, it, it creates this mountain of data, right? So how, how do you manage that? How do you handle that afterwards? So I get excited because I see this is, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't want to downplay uh, the complexity of collecting data. That's mm-hmm. a, not what I mean when I say easy. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but these tools are more cost effective now, mm-hmm. right? There's more competition that's driving down those, which just allows um, the the folks in the field uh, the ability to get their their hands on them. Yeah, right. Well, our so. business is, is refining the, the data. We, we everybody collects all this data, and they need the information, not all the data. Mm-hmm. We we par- parse down the mountain of information or of data into the manageable information that people actually need. Yeah. They don't need gigabytes and gigabytes of point cloud data. They need a, a terrain model. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what we're doing. We're, they're, they're taking the two-dimensional, you know, the, the planimetric data and, and pulling it from all of this massive mountain of data. We're pulling the 3D from the mountain of data, and we complement each other very well that way. And, you know, looking at it from that perspective, um, it's like your two companies, Airworks and DataSite, were maybe a little bit ahead of your time when you guys first, start got, got, you know, start, first started getting going. And now, you know, we have so much data available to us and so many different ways to collect that data. It really does boil down to managing it, you know, and you're like, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but really providing the deliverable that is actually needed versus files that are unmanageable, right. you know, and I think you guys are just kind of at the right, in the right place at the right time type thing, so yeah, that's exciting. What else? What else? Uh, talk, you want to talk about near map at all? Yeah, a little bit? we can definitely talk about it. I mean, it's a... Yeah. Uh, it's very, very exciting, honestly, for, for Airworks, and I hope both for Nearmap too, right? Where sure. When we started Airworks, we, we had this vision of, you know, ideally at some point you don't have to walk the job site anymore to learn about the job site, right? And basically wait a couple weeks to get your survey back, right? And, um, you know, we're not there yet today, even with Nearmap, right? The data isn't survey great necessarily, but it's pretty damn good to get mm-hmm. a first impression of what's happening, yeah. right? So 
now since December, since we integrated Nearmap and Airworks, you can sit at your desk and look at an intersection you've never visited and, and get a CAD plan of that and start design work, start quantities, start you know calculating cost of a project and, and timeline, right? And that's just a massive step. I feel like it's a new area era of yeah, data analytics in, in some capacity, right? And, um, and we'll see that more and more. All these imaging companies, and, and Nearmap especially, is increasing the amount of data they collect every single year, mm. right? And so it's harder and harder to manage, and I think that's where we come in, right, to hopefully offer solutions that process that faster. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to add, too, to that, you know, Nearmap is uh, our first partner, and, and the bigger vision here is, is a data marketplace, right? Mm. So that's uh, the first partner in that data marketplace. Yep. Um, you know, imagery at a certain resolution has a certain use case, mm -hmm. right? And so, like our partnership with Datasite, um, you know, we need to find solutions for a lot of other use cases. So, in that marketplace, in the future, you're going to see different um, different data beyond imagery, maybe imagery at even tighter resolutions. Um, that just offers, a, again, just a, a, a better place for our clients to grab data mm -hmm. and move into the extraction of, sure. of valuable information. Absolutely. So will that be the same type thing where there'll be a, uh, another option on the menu? that's going to offer something like the imagery or whatever that Nearmap is able to provide? Absolutely, yeah. So, that's how that looks? Yeah, so currently when our clients come, whether they bring data in yeah. or they go through this process now to order Nearmap, you, you're drawing uh, an area of interest, yep. right? So there is either data in that area available yeah. or there isn't, right? Yeah. And so those areas where there isn't data available, we need to find solutions yeah. for that. Well, the, once you outline your, your area of interest, then you find out what's on the menu. Yes. You, you yeah. find out what data is available. And that's another result of all of the technology that's coming out. People are able to collect so much more data. There's more data becoming instantly accessible. And I think that's one of the things that the Nearmap really provides is, is instantly accessible data. So, like, my mind's spinning right now. Are you going to take this? What, or what? What is the objective? You know, I like the de you know the data marketplace idea. I mean, is it is the next step to incorporate uh, utility information? So when you square that area of interest here, now you have uh, the option for public utilities or private utilities or something. You know, I mean, I can just I can just see this. My goodness, I mean, I, just exploding from this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we also are partners with Esri, so we're in the Silver okay. Partner Program. And, you know, that, those are layers that we will be incorporating. So that's something yeah. that we're just uh, kind of getting off uh, the ground right now. Mm -hmm. But access to Living Atlas and <laughs> utility uh, layers that are already existing, yep. again, just bring more value to our client. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're existing, White. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, did you go to uh, uh, Jack's uh, uh, keynote? No, no, right? I wasn't able to. Just going to mention yeah. that, actually. Yeah, so yeah. go for it. Yeah, go yeah. for it. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting, right? Because Jack made this whole. Um, yeah, speech about basically our responsibility as GIS professionals mm. to create understanding of the world mm. to tackle some of the big challenges we have, right? Yep. And I think he was referring to, yeah, climate change and disaster resilience and, and population growth and so on, right? And um, and it's it's scary, right? Because he's like, hey, you guys got to solve it, right? And, um, <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility. And exactly. So that was really interesting. And yeah. and uh, when I looked at the stats, um, even in the last ten years, like the number of commercial available Earth observation satellites in the sky, we were like 10 or 20 10 years ago. Now we're at over 600. So that means we're like 100 folding the amount of available data on demand, right, that you can access from your desk. Yeah. And at the same time, all that data is still being analyzed by a human in an office that draws lines on lines, mm -hmm. right? Like, that just doesn't work. You can't take a machine, create a data, put it in a put it in a manual process to put it back in Esri to analyze it, it's, yeah. just, it's a never, massive bottleneck. They'll never catch up. Right? They'll never catch up and, and it's going to get worse and worse, right? So hmm. um, we kind of see it in a way, AI is the only way. Right? Yep. If we really want to achieve that mission to help the world tackle those challenges, we got to find a solution, right? No AI, no action, and so AI is really important. No question. And uh, with like chat GPT and stuff like that, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I. My, it boggles my mind thinking about where this could ultimately go for sure. Um, you know, one, one comparison I'm thinking about is, you know, like in the survey world, you know, we, we struggle to find surveyors, of course, and struggle to get more people into the survey profession. And there's, you know, maybe a dozen people from all over the world doing different things to try to improve upon that, right? Well, I look at it from like your perspective, there's so many people out there collecting data in so many different ways, you know, wouldn't, is, 
wouldn't it be great if you can like collectively come together and rather than have like these splintered efforts, it'd be like one collective effort. I mean, it's probably a pipe dream, but it just seems like there would be an advantage to that. No, I, I, I'm, I don't think it's a pipe dream. I think that's actually what Esri and, and what Jack always talk about is what is the central artery, right? And I love that. It, right? It's yeah, a, no, 100%. It's I a mean, place yeah. for, for geospatial data, GPS data, and a lot of other existing data sets that already are out there, right? Yep. Where does that live? What is the central artery? where we can all tap into it, right? So mm-hmm. There's always opportunity when more data is connected, collected than we ever had, right? Then, and that's because sensor costs drop or other technology, mm-hmm. technological advantages. And then, you know, we put that data in the cloud so everyone can access it, right? That is when it gets exciting, right? Yeah. Because then you can build programs on top of it and collaborate on that data and, and really do things we never thought were possible, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so it fits, fits really well into what Esri is doing and, and what the industry is headed, I think. It's awesome, awesome. So I guess my last question is, Luke, are you going to be able to manage this from your houseboat? Absolutely. <laughs> Starlink, baby. <laughs> I'm still jealous of this guy living in a houseboat. Well, 75% of the year. As, as right long now. as the water holds out, I'll, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be doing Whole other okay. issue. Whole other issue. I'll be just fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, sure hold, not sure we can solve that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We're, not we, yet. Should, we should be working on it, though. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you guys want to talk about? No, man. What, I mean, what is in store for you? I know you oh, always geez. get to ask the questions. <laughs> oh, man. No, he's shaking his head. <laughs> his you know, we were just crossed. talking about it. We were talking about it today, as a matter of fact. We're like, how much bigger can we get as a podcast? You know, it's like, you know, we've talked to like some really influential people just over the last few days, you know, whether it be from Regal or some of the other major players. Um that, you know, after they, they talk to us and get to know us a little bit, they're like, you know, we want to be a part of that type thing, you know? And it, it is getting to the point where we are bringing outside help to help us manage it. You yeah. know, we have an accountant now. Uh, we brought somebody on to help us with social media. My daughter's actually like the booking agent for our guests. Cool. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know the answer, but uh, three years ago when we started this and we had like 10 listeners, you know, it's like, Wow, it's mind blowing. It's humbling. Um, you know, we're now averaging what over fifteen hundred downloads a week, right? Like five thousand monthly. So, and it continues to continues to grow. You know, I mean, we have all the analytics at uh, at our fingertips. Um, and uh, it, it, again, it's very humbling. It's very exciting. And uh, I'm not sure ultimately where we're going to go with it, but we'll see. Where to go? With support, you know, from guys like yourself, um, it, it really opens up a lot of doors for us. Yeah. Well, for keep sure. it going. We, we love the show. Cool. Thank you. you. We love you guys. You bring uh, some energy to the space that sometimes can... Pretty dry. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. appreciate well, that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like we may see you guys in Berlin. There we go. My David hometown, actually. Sure. So, I'll, I'm I'll so host, excited. Um, and show you guys Berlin. Uh, bring some time. <laughs> I'll do that for <laughs> day, sure. day and night. Can't wait. Can't wait. Well, pre, pre-sleep. Thank you guys so much for uh, you know taking uh, taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited for uh, what's going on. Thank, thanks Thank for you. Us. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have a familiar face. Uh, yeah. Although I am still going to let him introduce himself. So okay. if you would, Rami, just quick introduction, name, who you're with, what you do, and uh, we'll we'll go from there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So hey, I'm Rami Tamimi. I, uh, I run a YouTube channel under my name where I talk about surveying and geospatial content. I'm also a PhD student at the Ohio State University. All right, we got we got a smart one on our hands. <laughs> yes, yes, content provider and smart at the same time. That's yes, a perfect uh, yes. combination. We're right still there. trying to pull that one off. Yes. <laughs> but I will say, I'm Rami's uh, YouTube channel, uh, amazing. Amazing. I mean, some of the best content. A yeah. lot of it, you know, using like iPhones and comparing it to like conventional surveying tools and stuff, and super interesting stuff. I always recommend Rami's channel. Yeah, Rami, why don't you talk a little more about you know kind of the content and what you know what you're putting out there? You know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it really started with just some conventional surveying techniques. Uh, I had a total station and I had a level, and I was teaching people how to do traversing, how to do resectioning, how to do run a level loop. Uh, and you know that was what started everything. And then when I saw the attention, you know, you know, being received by the audience, I decided, hey, let me talk about the research that I'm doing. And um, I do a lot of work with the iPhone's uh, camera and lidar sensors. 
and I was comparing it and doing ground truthing with the total station. So uh, definitely received a lot of attention there. And from there, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to talk about anything and everything that's geospatial or survey related. Uh, it seems like it's a topic that a lot of people are interested in. Not a lot of content is out there. And, uh, you know, like, people love it. I love making it. I love learning about it. And, you know, it's, it's just an amazing experience. So how did you, how did that first happen? Where, you know, you said that, you know, you just started making some training videos, some basic stuff. What, what made you first decide, okay, I'm going to record this and put it out there? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's never on purpose. It's always an accident. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had just gotten a job at Ohio State as the lab instructor for their intro to surveying course. So uh, this was also the time that COVID hit. And we were restricted with the amount of time we were able to spend on campus. So the only thing we could do is meet outside with the equipment. There's no um, in-class lab, you know, tutorial or like pre-lab uh, lecture. So I needed to come up with a way to explain to the students, hey, this is what we're going to do today. And I couldn't just do that with them showing up, you know, outside. So I made the video as like a pre-lab and I had my students watch that video. And I made it in a way that like anybody could just click on it and watch it. So it doesn't have to be just my Ohio State students. Right. And uh, yeah, that was that was the, the motivation behind it. And I saw a lot of positive feedback from around the world and my students loved it because they would show up and they knew exactly what we were doing that day hmm. um, and these are kids that like never ever touched you know a level or a total station and most of them are civil engineering students so uh, yeah it, it, that's how it started and it just blossomed from there it seems like it's got to be a lot of work it can be at times yeah so how do you like how do you balance you know the time and effort you have to put into that with your real job with your you know, all aspects of your life. How do, how do you manage all that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about discipline, you know. And when I wake up, I, you know, may not have the motivation to want to do the things that I have to do. Um, and the YouTube channel has turned into, like, a responsibility for me now because I have built this, you know, this platform that I need to maintain now. So it's my responsibility to maintain it. So having the discipline to go to work, to, you know, have breakfast with my wife, to be able to film and edit a video, you know, it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of time. And you really have to be passionate about what you do. And I love everything that I do in my life. So that's what keeps me going. And that's what makes me, you know, look at the end result and say, hey, you know, I'm really proud of what I did. How, so what's the, where do you get the inspiration for new content? You know, at some point, like, do you feel like you're running out of things to talk about? Oh, my God, never. 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 I mean, I, I might be, you know, starting a research topic, you know, and I'll make a video about it. And then while I'm making the video, I'm like, man, I can like branch off onto this tangent and make a whole separate video about it. And I end up doing that. Uh, if at some point I do reach a dead end, the comment section is always filled with very knowledgeable questions. You know, people that just like, hey, I really like what you did, but could you talk more about this aspect? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh my God, like, like for example, like geoid height, mm. you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, I know the difference between ellipsoid and orthometric height, but a lot of people don't that could be a whole video right there, you know? And it's concepts that I don't, might not necessarily think of on the top of my head, but the comments will guide me and say, hey, this is what the audience wants to see. I should make something about this. What did, yeah. the, what did the last guy just say about that? Which part? You, what, you go in the direction you're pulled, like? Uh, yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, what was it? Go in the direction you're pulled, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, something to really that effect. It's yeah. like, you know, instead of deciding on your own that's what you that's what kind of you're saying it's like yeah. let the audience dictate what they what they're interested in then absolutely yeah cool. i mean that's that's how you gain the retention of your audience because you're listening to them and you're reacting mm. to what they're asking for it's like i almost look at it it's like, it's like i'm respecting my audience you know yeah. by listening to their wishes so and that's a good question like how do you maybe you just answered it but how do you keep your audience engaged you know what how do you like when you're producing content are there certain things that you make sure that you know hot buttons that you push or something like that that yes. continues to get people engaged yeah, yeah. youtube is built on an algorithm okay. and i don't have to find my audience my audience will find me because youtube will recommend my content and the way it does that is by creating content that will keep the viewer on the platform mm. You know, this is very public knowledge, and I, and I encourage anyone that's trying to get into this space, YouTube is an algorithm. The algorithm is simple. The longer the viewer is watching, the longer they're on the platform, the more uh, users are on YouTube, and YouTube likes that, and then they'll recommend your comment, content to more people. So my approach is always, all right, I'm going to hit the audience with a problem. We are trying to solve this. We're going to be using this equipment. We're going to be using this technique. You know, we're going to be doing these steps to solve that problem. And then I actually do it on camera. You know, I 
put the angles, I show them different spots, I show them conflicts that I run into. Um, and then by the end of it, we resolve it by analyzing the data we've collected or by the tools that we've used. And that shows the audience that, hey, look, we started at this point, we did X, Y, and Z, and now we are at the finish line with the product or the solution that we need. Do you ever do any collaboration with other you know, influential YouTubers? Tubers? Tubers? Tubers. Tubers. Tubers, yeah. Uh, I'd love to. I really would. There are a couple of people out there that are in the geospatial realm. Um, big shout out to uh, Dylan Gorman, to um, Indiana Drones. Um, you know, these are the folks that like are in the space. Um, they're not surveyors and they don't claim to be surveyors, but they have a lot of respect for what surveyors do. And they encourage people to kind of, you know, hey, look at what technology can do. Um, I would love to, you know, see us come together, you know, use me as the surveyor and them as the LIDAR experts, for example. Um, another person I think is surveying with Robert, Robert Martin. I okay. mean, I think Ro Robert is a very, very knowledgeable uh, surveyor and someone that I really look up to. And I think at, at, at some point I, I, I need to just go down to, I think Mississippi he's in. Yeah. Yeah, I need yeah. to just go down there and be like, we're going to do something yeah. together, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. He's awesome. Um, what else? What's next? What are you excited about? Yeah. Oh, what am I excited about? I'm excited about doing more research this year. That's my goal. Um, I put a lot of work into the YouTube channel and making content. Uh, but I think something I really need to work on is my degree. Uh, and, uh, and 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 that doesn't mean it's going to take away from the YouTube. I think I'll probably make videos about the research that I'm doing. So, um, so can you talk a little bit more about that? So you yeah. got your degree, your your bachelor's in. So I got my bachelor's in survey engineering. Uh, at Ferris State University. Where is that? Uh, Big Rapids, Michigan. Okay. Yep. Okay. And, uh, I got my master's degree in civil engineering at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, and now I'm doing the PhD in geodetic engineering. So every single one of them is a little bit different, but they're all connected in some way. See, this is a guy that is, is actually good at college. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy learning, um, and it's definitely not easy. It's definitely a challenge, but um, I'm very blessed. The people that have been in my path have really helped me you know, with school and with my experience and kind of getting me started. But um, yeah, I know. I mean, now, now at Ohio State, I'm really focusing on utilizing new technology, but maintaining the integrity of surveying and basically ground truthing and validating the data mm -hmm. using basic survey techniques. So of all the content that you're generating, all the research that you're doing, and maybe you've done this already and I'm not aware of it, but have you considered publishing a book or something? Um, sort of like a book, more of uh, publications, I would say, to like journals and different conferences. Okay. So as I kind of build my name in the academic space, um, publishing these, you know, this research and you know, making this more, now, more, more accessible through journals, is really the goal here. And that's what's gonna help me, you know, finish my degree. I think once I have my degree, that kind of will build the grounds then to, okay, let's create like a, a publication that's like a book that anybody can access. Mm -hmm. So after you finish this degree, what's what's the next step for you? Do you see yourself uh, staying in like the academia world or, you know, what? Where do, where do you see yourself going? Man, this is a very tough question because every year the answer changes. Uh. <laughs> um, I, I, when I first started, my goal was to just become, you know, very knowledgeable in the industry. Um, and then when I started teaching, I really loved teaching, and I was like, maybe I'll become a professor as well. And then when I, the YouTube channel took off, I thought, man, I could just do YouTube videos and you know, run a business. So I really, I, I don't know what direction I want to go in. I kind of am just going with the flow at this point. Um, I'm, I'm living in the moment. I love what I'm doing. Uh, and I know at some point when I do finish, though, I mean, I don't really need to change anything. I just keep doing what I'm doing. I just have a new title under my name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And anybody out there like listening that is considering doing something like what you're doing as far as YouTube goes and creating content, what's some advice you might give them? Oh, start now. Um, start before you're ready. Mm. I think a lot of people find good reasons, I'm not saying they're bad reasons, but good reasons not to do it. And I would say put those reasons aside. You know, you make the content. You know, if the content is valuable, the audience will find it. Uh, and... If you've got a passion for filmmaking or for you know, doing a podcast, you know whatever it is that you enjoy in the content creation space, just start and uh, see where it goes. You know, if if you're making mistakes, people will tell you, and you can learn from those mistakes. It'll make you a better surveyor or a better engineer. You know, that that to me it, it, it builds uh, it builds you up as a professional. 
Yeah, and it doesn't have to be perfect, right? I think people are always hesitant because they they think it just needs to be perfect because they don't want the criticism and this and that. But that's not necessarily the case, right? Exactly, exactly. And with the Geoholics podcast, I mean, people will we are not perfect. You are not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may you may think that, but the thing is, everyone will listen because they have they want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. You know, they, they're following. It might be the Geoholics podcast, but really, it's Kent. You know, it, it's Sean. It's it's whoever is talking. They want to hear what you have to say. So I think a lot of people watch me on YouTube. Um, they want to hear what I have to say, and they've built this personal connection with me. And I've seen this here in, in the exhibit hall, and um, you know, I've just run into random viewers. Hey, you're Rami. And I'm like, yeah. hey, hey, man, how's it going? You know, and, I, and I try to you know, have like a real human conversation with them because yeah. I'm, I'm just a normal guy. Yeah. So they, they build that personal connection, and I think that's the most rewarding thing. Yeah. Sure. So, real quick technical question. Sure. With uh, the new state plane coordinate systems that are coming out, mm-hmm. do you see that going to be an absolute nightmare? I mean, ultimately, I think it's probably going to be a really good thing, but that transition, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, no, I, I think the, the new coordinate systems are merely going to be a new projection that we can use. Um, you will still have access to NAD 83, or if you really want to go back to NAD 27, you could do that. Um, I think the, the thing is the education behind it, having people understand in the geospatial world like what this new coordinate system is, what, um, I guess, what, uh, what, what advantages are in it. I mean, one big one is the units. You know, Now we're going to have one standard foot that we can use you know there's it's it's that's just one of the benefits to it so it's not going to be a nightmare to switch over but i think educating people and having them understand what it's all about is going to be the biggest challenge and do you see yourself able to play a, a, a you know pretty impactful role in that education absolutely yeah i think it's a duty for me you know i'm my job is to study and understand it and then put it in a way that present it in a way that's you know accessible to anyone that wants to learn more yeah, so, yeah. cool what else sean that's all I got. You're a little quiet this time around. I'm just you, taking you, it all in. Huh? I'm yeah. just taking it all in. Huh. I think you're uh, maybe a little intimidated by Rami. I am very intimidated. <laughs> no, don't be. I'm, I'm just a regular guy. Oh, yeah. I swear. I'm just, I'm just a, a, I'm just a, a regular guy. I'm just guy a kid. Have, the, yeah, I'm have just an alphabet kid. after his name when he's done. <laughs> I'm just out surveying, having fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, nothing to be intimidated about. Anything else you want to get out there, Rami? Uh, no. How, how mean, do people I, find you if they don't if they don't already know? I'll just uh, youtube.com slash Rami Tamimi. Um, most of my social medias, Instagram.com slash Rami Tamimi, LinkedIn.com slash I N slash Rami Tamimi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean just search my name up and I try to connect with me. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get to know you guys more. Um, awesome. And uh, yeah, anything that you need from me, you know, leave it in the comments and me an email. Um, you know, I, I love hearing feedback, and I, and I hope to continue to provide uh, to my industry. Cool, awesome. Awesome. sounds good. Well done, man. Yeah. Keep up the great work. Yeah, keep always good to catch up with you. And thank yeah. you for your time. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, appreciate Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me.